when you plan a special event, that event says a lot about you as a person, as a planner. So for Jonathan's first birthday, my 15 year old son here, um, he was the first grandchild on both sides of the family. And so every, every child's birthday is a special day, but maybe, maybe it seems a little more special just because he was the first grandchild on both sides of the family. And um, so we had this birthday party. It was in the summer. It was a big bash. We invited everybody we knew, like all sorts of friends from church and friends, you know, family that are local, Swicky's family that are local. We invited my brother from up in Washington, D.C. Him and his wife came down. And we spent um, a really great, we had a really great time, spent a bunch of money for a first birthday party. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? So, if so, so, so you can learn a lot about us by looking at that. And so you, you could look at that and stand back and just, even if you didn't know us at all, you could stand back and say, who are Daniel and Soiki really? Um, you, you'd see that they value people, right? Like having people around is important. You know, like we want other people to, and so why is that? You, you look and say, well, there's a lot of joy that's happening here. So we want to bring other people into joy. Right? We want to share our joy with others. We love fellowship, um, and wholesome fellowship is always a good thing. Um, God's involvement is important. You'd say that because we prayed at the beginning for safety for the kids, for you know, for the visiting kids, for the family. You know, for, prayed for God to bless the food. So even for a first birthday party, the prayer is important. So you you recognize that you know right off the bat. And it, you know, the purpose of money to us is is that we spent a lot of money on that. And so the purpose you'd say, well, why would they do that? Well, because people are more important than money to us. Um, part of the purpose of money is to be able to be a blessing to other people through, you know, parties, food, stuff like, like it's a, it's a reason to get together and to be able to fellowship and stuff. And so you can learn a lot about us by looking at just that first birthday party. And somebody could learn a lot about you by looking at your wedding, something or, or some other event that you were part of planning because you, you put so much of yourself into it. So a, a discerning person could, could come along and say, okay, well, was your wedding a big bash or was it a quiet, was it a quiet gathering of family and friends, right? Was it a lavish party or was it a simple event? You know, did you go on a honeymoon? What did your dress look like? What song did you dance to? That says a lot about you. And all those things would give a savvy outsider an understanding of who you really are as a person. And the Christmas story gives us a really incredible perspective of who God is. I mean, if you think about it, Christmas is kind of an odd time, you know? We celebrate a baby who was born 2,000 years ago in a manger, you know, who was laid in a manger, born in a stable in podunk town that nobody paid attention to. Only a couple of people showed up back then. But somehow 2,000 years later, we celebrate a billion, a billion people every year, a couple billion, whatever, celebrate it every year. That, isn't, that, isn't that intriguing? Like. Either we're crazy or there's something more going on there. And so, so there's something more going on there. But so it's kind of like this. To a Jewish person, this is kind of how it would sound. I'm going to put this in American terms. And so here you have um, an unwed girl in the deep south. You know, one of those places where if you drive through it, you, you don't want to stop very often. So you get in a full tank of gas and you drive straight through so you don't have to stop. One of those kind of places. So in the deep south, an, un, an unwed girl has a baby in a little backwater town that you don't want to stop at. A little dismal town with no industry, no economy, only struggling families there. And she's, the, she's not even an ordinary girl. She's a less than ordinary girl. Like, I don't know, you could maybe put it in, in terms like this. Um, that she's just not highly thought of down there. Sometimes I call my I, I call my kids like, you know, uh, Maddie Joe and Jojo. Uh, 
um, I don't know, I just think it's kind of funny. Our last name's Jones, but I don't know, to me there's kind of like a double thing there. Like if you're from the South, sometimes you just put Joe on the end of your first name, but anyway. And so Mary Jo has a child out of wedlock. Hey, that's nothing, you know, unusual down there. And so, um, or, or up here, whatever. And, but somehow it's celebrated 2,000 years later. So people, maybe from Jewish heritage, they're like scratching their heads trying to figure this out. Am I missing something here? Would, would anybody create a yearly celebration for that going on in the South? No, not really. But there's more, something more going on with the Christmas story. So God the Father planned the birth of his son. And the son probably was involved in planning it also. And so Jesus, the only person ever who helped plan his own birth. So you can look, so we can look at the events here and really see who he is. So we're just going to take a quick look uh, at, 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 at a few, you know, at a few, you know, things in there. Um, and so since he's planning it, he can have everything he wants, right? When you plan your wedding, you get, you get everything you want, everything. And he could have had everything he wants. So he could have had the time frame. He could have had the location he wants, the festivities, the guest list. The invitation, the chosen mother and father, he could have had everything he wants. And he did get everything he wants. So let's let's see what he got. So this is in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So Jesus could have got the best of care. You know, he could have delayed coming until he could be born in a modern hospital facility. Until he could see, you know, maybe present day here in America, maybe Israel, whatever, have the finest facility with the best doctors in the history of the world, the best care possible, the cleanest conditions. But instead he chooses a dirt floor covered with straw and no running water. Why would he do that? He helped plan it. Why would he plan it like that? He didn't come a moment too soon. He didn't come a moment too late. Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And then there's some prophecies. It took 400 years worth of God positioning the chess pieces to get everything just right for, for, for the time frame of the location of Jesus' birth. So for the location in, in Micah 5, it says that he's going to be, Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. For the family, it says in Jeremiah 23, he's going to be a descendant of David. For the virgin birth, that's in Isaiah 7. It says the virgin will conceive and bear a, and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. And all those things, it took 400 years worth of, worth of planning and maneuvering chess pieces from the time Malachi ended until Matthew began. And then, or, or Luke, either way. And then in Luke, the angel Gabriel says, tells, uh, you know, gives Mary the message that says, Rejoice, you highly favored one. And Mary says, Who, me? And it says, Mary was troubled. She didn't understand. Why would an angel be coming to her? She's a nobody. And then the angel explains it to her. And she says, Okay, behold, I'm the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so God had arranged the chess pieces. Interesting thought. He had arranged all these chess pieces. to, um, and, and, and there was one final thing that needed to happen. Mary needed to say yes. And so God, the Father, put 100% confidence in Mary saying yes. Isn't that amazing? What if Mary would have said no? Would that have thrown all the prophecies out the window? 
No, I think God could have, God could have shifted around and found, found somebody else. But the amazing thought is with free will, she could have said no. But Psalm 139 says, there's not a word in, on my tongue except, Lord, you know it already. Like God knows you so much already that before you even form the thoughts in your mind to come out of your mouth, he already knows what you're going to say. He knew Mary was going to say yes. And he had the angel say just enough to make sure that she said yes. And oh, how it must have rejoiced heaven when she said yes. The final chess piece, getting moved into place. And so there's no more hindrance to getting the savior of the world to be born into the world. Do you? Yeah. And I think Bossier read it. So did, do you see how the angels? So I just, I just got to share this with you. In chapter 2, verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel. So this is when the angel is telling the shepherds about Jesus' birth. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And so what happened right there is all of heaven was already rejoicing. And to the shepherds, God just pulled back the curtain a little bit so they could see a little bit, a little glimpse of what was already happening in heaven. A multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. There must have been such rejoicing when Mary said yes. And so that has to do with the time frame. So the chosen time, why did Jesus choose that time frame? Dirt floors with straw on top, no state-of-the-art hospitals, because of humility. He was demonstrating humility. Everyone can relate to dirt floors, but not everyone could relate to a modern-day hospital. Jesus was showing that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. He had every right to be served, but he didn't do that. He came to, to serve instead. So that, that the time frame that tells us about God's meekness and his humility. And the location. So Bethlehem. So Bethlehem was not a wealthy town. It was overshadowed by Jerusalem, you know, just a few miles away. So Bethlehem was not a planned destination. It was, it was like it, 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 nobody would go there on purpose. It was, it was more like a pit stop for people going to Jerusalem. Not bad people, just nothing going on there. If they had bumper stickers, they probably have, have one that says something like, nothing happens in Bethlehem, right? It's just like a gas, a gas stop. That's about it. And so the most telling part of the story about going to Bethlehem is the part that's not even told in the Bible. So Joseph was from Bethlehem. Do you get it? Are you with me? He probably had cousins. He probably had second cousins or aunts or uncles who lived in Bethlehem also. And he shows up with this pregnant wife, betrothed wife, who's in the process of giving birth, and he can't even find one of his relatives to open their back room for them. Isn't that amazing? Joseph was a nobody. Not even his family in Bethlehem wanted him in the house. Mary was a nobody. The mom was a nobody. The dad was a nobody. And so they got a stable instead. They didn't get a palace. Jesus deserved a palace. He didn't get a palace, he didn't get a mansion, he didn't even get a home, he didn't even get a back room in a family's home. He didn't even get an inn. And hotels really aren't that comfortable. Instead, he got a stable, somewhere that was fit for animals. He planned that. Why would he plan that? Because of humility. That shows us that he's a humble king. That he doesn't demand a palace or a mansion. 
，不离三毛。We talked about Mary. We talked about Joseph. Mary wasn't a queen. Because God wasn't seeking humanly glory. So why did Jesus choose Mary? Because Mary was meek and humble. Did you hear that part before? Where she says, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for He has regarded the lowly estate of His maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed." He chose Mary because she was meek and she was humble. Because that's who he is. He's meek and he's humble. And then the guest list. The guest list kind of seems haphazard, right? There were those, there were those shepherds who were kind of like the poor outcasts, and then the magi, who the wealthy out of towners, poor outcasts, wealthy out of towners. Isn't that kind of an interesting mix of guests? And so I kind of thought about like this, like there's maybe there's a conversation in heaven between God the Father and God the Son. So so the thought goes like this: Hey, let's invite all of Jerusalem, right? It's close enough. And then then reality sets it. Well, no, they wouldn't come anyway. They're just they're just too busy. Well, okay, okay, okay. We can invite the priests in the temple. We can invite them, right? This should be important to them, right? They should they should be able to come. Then reality sets in. No, they don't really care enough to come. They've got their own stuff going on. Okay, well let's let's pick one person out of Jerusalem. How about the king? The king of the Jews. He would really care that the Savior is coming into the world, right? The king of the Jews, Herod. Oh no no no! Yeah, the others don't care enough, but Herod he cares too much. He way too much. He he come and try to try to kill, you know, the son. So let's not even let him really know about it hardly. Okay, so um, so who else do we got? Okay, the shepherds. We got the shepherds. Let's invite shepherds. We like shepherds. They'll care, but not too much. They won't try to destroy the child. Okay, so good. We got the shepherds. Who else? Um, well, just just the shepherds. That's about it. <laughs> well, how about we can invite the Gentiles, right? I mean, Jesus is gonna, you know, is gonna benefit all the Gentiles. Also, we can invite them. Well, they'll they kind of like ruin every party that they're invited to. They kind of bring problems and try to conquer and take over and you know fight the Jewish people. Let's not invite them. Well, okay. How about a few of the well-behaved ones? Let's get a few nobles from. Far away, some of some of the wise ones that are well behaved. Let's get them. Okay, deal. And so that's maybe that's how the guestless conversation went. So we've got the poor the poor local shepherds, outcasts, and then the wealthy out of towners. So I had a little fun with that, but um, but really, God the Father did invite so many, but so few chose to come. And in the end, it was only those two sets of guests that came. The, the, the outcasts, the local outcasts, and the wealthy out of towners. And so there might be, I don't know, there might be somebody here who thinks of themselves maybe as an outcast. And so that's part of why the shepherds were on the short list of people invited. Because God wants you to know that you are important, you are special, and that you are invited. And that he would be overjoyed for you to come and see the Savior. Because God loves broken and hurting people. God loves the outcasts. And and for them and for the shepherds, God gave them this amazing responsibility to go and tell and tell the other people around. And so, uh, verse eight, Luke two, verse eight. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, 
An angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then, and then it was in verse 15 that the angels, when they, when they left, the shepherds said, let's now go to Bethlehem and tell everybody about this. And so that's what they did. And so nobody may entrust you to deliver newspapers, but God will entrust you to, to deliver his message. More were invited, but they didn't come. So the shepherds proclaimed the good news to everybody around. That's what it says here in verse um, 17. They made widely known the saying which, were told that, which was told them concerning this child. And all who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And so it's interesting. They made this birth of the Savior widely known. And it doesn't say that any of those people came. There's so many people who were invited who didn't come. The Old Testament saints looked forward to the coming of the Savior that would take away their sins. Us New Testament saints look back to the time when the Savior did come to, and, and took the punishment for our sin upon himself. On both sides of the cross, we look to Jesus. The wise men traveled for months to come and get a glimpse of the Savior, and these people were in Bethlehem. They heard the message of the shepherds on that night, and they stayed home. The wise men traveled for months to get a glimpse of the Savior and to fall down and to worship him and to give of their gifts. And these people were in Bethlehem, were 30, 40 feet away. And that was too big of a hurdle for them to get over, to get off their couch and walk over and see the news of the greatest, the greatest news ever given. Look, most of America celebrates Christmas, which is a blessing and it's a challenge. It's a blessing because we're, we're free to go ahead and celebrate Christmas here. That's a wonderful thing. That's, that it's like an instituted holiday here in America. But the challenge is that most people hear the story and they wonder and gaze in admiration, just like it says that the people in Bethlehem did, but they don't come and see Jesus for themselves. So what I'm saying is come and see Jesus. Come and see him for yourself. Come and worship Christ. That's what, the, that's what the Magi did when they showed up. That's what the apostles did after Jesus calmed the storm. Hearing the, hearing the good news of the Savior's birth is, is the invitation to come, to come and see, and to come and worship. And so sometimes uh, it's, it's, it's poverty that brings a person to the point of listening. But it doesn't have to only be that. It's, it's not poverty, it's humility that brings a person to listen. The shepherds were humble. That's why they were invited. That's why they came. And the wise men, the magi, they were also humble. They proved that because when they showed up, they bowed down and they worshipped a newborn baby. They were not prideful. They were so humble. Why did God invite them? Why did the Son want them there? Because of their humility. The guest list tells us that Jesus is humble and that he's incredibly elusive to the proud. When Herod finally wanted to see Jesus, it was to kill him when Jesus wasn't there. God is available. Jesus is available for the humble because he is the humble king and he is not available for the proud. So through all these things, God showed so much about himself that he's meek, and that he's humble. 
the time frame, the location, the guest list, the mom and dad. Jesus is for the humble, the poor humble, the rich humble, and everyone in between. And all, and all are invited to come and worship him. Come the peasant and come king to own him, the song says. So if you're humble, then Jesus is for you. So Jesus later would say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So I'm saying, come and, come and see him for yourself. Don't let this Christmas pass by and just be, you know, following the work and heard, not listening to the message. Come and see him for yourself. Spend time. In his word, read the Bible, start asking to speak to you through it. Ask him to make this Christmas special and that you can see him clearly, maybe for the first time. And then all these Christmas carols all of a sudden mean something new and special to you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are just so thankful for your humility. That Jesus chose the time and the place and the guests and the mother and the father and, and all that was planned in heaven and every aspect of it shows meekness and humility. Thank you that you're the humble king for humble people. Lord, we just ask that you would Make our hearts humble before you. Let us see you for the amazing king that you are that comes to conquer hearts with love and with self-sacrifice. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would bless everyone here, everyone who listens to this message. We just ask that you would bring each one of us closer to you. Let us see your face. Let us see your glory. Let us see Jesus this Christmas, our humble King. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.